cheeky back heel. With ease, Miguel Aziz, his first goal for Portsmouth. Into the path of Smithrow, into the box. Smithrow scores! A really deserved first goal in Huddersfield Town Colours. Top of the league by five points. The same exact amount of points we were top of the league by when the World Cup break began and when we lost Gabriel Jesus for X amount of months. Everyone said we'd crumble, but we still have that exact same five-point lead, including the fact that we lost to Manchester City, including the fact that VAR took at least two points away from us in that Brentford match. Let's not go further than that. But at the very least, we are five points clear in March. Very exciting times, not getting ahead of ourselves. The goal of the season was always top four. That was the goal. Certainly, we're looking like that is all but committed, and we will be back in the Champions League next year, but let's hope there's something a little extra waiting for us. The squad is getting healthy. We have Smithrow back on the bench. Jorginho has been a wonderful, wonderful addition. So has Leandro Trossard. Gabriel Martinelli back in goal-scoring form, and Bukayo Saka doing what he does best. The defense, firm, tested, strong, and Zinchenko just orchestrating it all. But nonetheless, a massive five-point five gap. That game in hand is no longer in play. We can take that narrative out. We play week in and week out from here on in. One international break. The Europa League as well. Congrats to Manchester United on continuing to only get drawn at home in the domestic cups this year. Seven out of seven. Incredible stuff. Truly never seen anything like it. But nonetheless, we're not here to talk about any of that. We have quite a bit to catch up on. After a week off, I was out of town traveling, unable to record the podcast, but we're back and we'll just kick it off with Charlie Patino, who I've seen quite a bit on Twitter recently amongst the fan base questioning this loan move questioning whether Charlie Patino could step in next year. And I ask you this, all of you who are clamoring for him not to go on loan this year, for him to be the midfield depth this year, how come now after 36 games in the championship, you feel that he's not ready to come in next year with one more year of experience, one year older? That's what I don't understand about this fan base. He's gone on loan. He's gone into a very difficult area. He's gone and improved on things that he has struggled with at youth levels, mostly physical challenges, aggressiveness, ability to show his defensive side of the game, and he's done exactly that. And as we've discussed a lot, both on Twitter and on this podcast, Arteta clearly wants two strong midfielders to pair with a playmaker like an Odegaard or a Smith-Rowe or a Vieira. At the very least, he wants that in the key matches with the big six. Against low blocks, yes, some things could change. Maybe you'd like to see Odegaard and Vieira together with a true six like a Thomas Partey or potentially a Declan Rice or Moises Caicedo in the future. But Charlie Patino is kind of exactly the replacement you'd want for Granit Xhaka. He has a lot of the same things to offer. He can be physical. He knows how to play the defensive side of the game, but he's more athletic. He's better in the final third. He has a knack for scoring goals in and around the box and creating. I think that this loan has proven all of those things to be true. And yes, Blackpool's had a tough season. What we wanted to see with Appleton didn't quite work out. Mick McCarthy taking over isn't exactly what Arsenal fans probably hoped for. 
But Charlie Patino has been a key figure under Mick McCarthy. Mick McCarthy has spoken about him like he's his own son, saying how talented he is and how much he loves seeing the fight he puts out on the pitch. So what is the uproar? Just because we're so good in the first team, we have to be upset about how alone is going, even though it's going better than average? Yeah, it's not perfect. He doesn't play for Burnley at the top of the league. I, I understand. He doesn't play in a possession-based side like Arsenal. I understand. But that's not necessarily what loan moves are about. They're about rounding out a player, a young player who needs the experience, who needs to see what it's like to play against players who have that experience, who, yeah, he may be technically more skilled than them, but they know how to throw a body around. They know how to get in your head. They know how to make you feel uncomfortable on the pitch. And he's learning about all of those things. In the last two weeks, he played 90 minutes against Blackburn Rovers in a 1-0 loss, 42 of 50 passing, one successful dribble, five of seven long balls completed, he made nine recoveries, won two out of six ground duels in all three of his aerial duels. Since Mick McCarthy has taken over, it's interesting to see kind of how much more ground Charlie Patino is covering. He's playing deeper at times because they like to get into a low block and play long balls, but he's also playing much more forward. He's finding himself in the attacking third, both on the ball when Blackpool are in possession, but also pressing and trying to win second balls off of long balls. So it's interesting to see him kind of actually covering more ground even though they're in a less possession-based side. It's a higher volume of passing that he's finding himself in. He's finding himself in more duels and less interceptions in passing lanes. It's a different type of football, but again, it's good experience. He has great ability to play long balls from tight areas and find a man in space on an opposite wing. And what I mean by that is whether it's receiving a pass from his own teammate or making an interception or you know recovering a long ball played by the other team, when he has men closing down on him, his ability to get great immediate lift on the ball with great accuracy and kind of play these looping switches, which allow his teammates to receive the ball in space, spur a counterattack, and play out of you know what can be a troubling position for Charlie himself. And it's not something I'm too used to seeing any player do, uh, and it's an interesting quality to see in somebody. And I like abnormalities. That, to me, makes a player unique. Not all abnormalities are good, but one like this, I think, can be coached into a very interesting skill to have and something that can be useful uh, for a player like Charlie who is so versatile. Unfortunately, Charlie was then not used in a 3-1 loss to Reading. I think Mick McCarthy plays a very demanding style off the ball and acquires his midfielders to run a lot. And my guess is Charlie wasn't in the starting 11, would have been used off the bench if the game had gone a different way, uh, but expect to see him back in the weekend. Brooke Norton Cuffey is finding himself more comfortable on the Coventry side, finally. We spoke a little bit about his great performance two weeks ago, uh, but played in all three of the Coventry matches over the last two weeks, 90 minutes against Rotherham in a 2-0 win. Coventry are in excellent form I might add, pushing their way up the table, trying to get into that last promotion playoff spot. In this match, Brooke went 17-27 passing. He had one shot on goal, two out of four successful dribbles, and won six duels. Uh, he did pick up a yellow card as well. I thought it was a little bit of a soft call. He was kind of shielding a winger off from making a run in behind on a ball played in. I thought they were pretty shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder at the very least. Maybe Brooke was a little bit kind of using his arm to protect it, but a yellow card seemed harsh, especially that early in the match. Some things I've noticed, though, especially when he's on the ball, that make it challenging for Brooke to succeed 
is how isolated he is on that touchline. He oftentimes has to play balls into the channel because he has no other option. Gustavo Hamer, who's been excellent for Coventry, I might add, and somebody who, whether it's with Coventry next year or not, I expect to see in the Premier League, he is an incredible midfielder, likes to operate a lot more in the left half spaces. So oftentimes, Brooke doesn't have a midfielder kind of holding his hand in, near him in the, in the half spaces. And teams are keying on him. They're bringing two, three defenders, not necessarily because... Brooks the most dangerous player to play against. I'm not I mean it's hard to say he's not I'm trying to not say it's because he's not amazing. It, it's it's because of his speed. It's hard to slow him down and to bring two or three defenders around him allows the covering defender to play down the line more to stop Brooks from you know blazing past him and then you have a midfielder or two or you're helping winger covering the insides or Brooks can't cut inside. It limits Brooks options and basically forces him to play those balls into the channel that I was saying about. I, I think that's really been Brooks' biggest challenge since moving to Coventry at this point is figuring out how he can be most useful on the ball. Defensively, though, he's been excellent, and this match was no different. Nothing came down his side defensively. He was Nothing went in behind him. And teams really try and play on the other side of the pitch, and I'll get to it in the Preston match, but in the 65 minutes Brooks played in that Preston match, nearly the entire match was played down the other half of the pitch, both when Coventry were on and off the ball. And I think... A lot of that had to do with Preston's game plan, which was they had their left back basically man-marking Brooke on and off the ball, and that forced and left space open on the other side. Something I did notice, though, from this Rotherham match was that I think Brooke has an interesting quality as of throw-ins. He seems to have a great sense of trajectory and distance in how to have the ball land directly at a striker's foot so he can control it and, and keep possession. And yes, he happens to have a great number nine, Victor Jokeris, who is great with his back to goal, is very physical, has a, the technical skill to control the ball. But it's not something I noticed in previous loans with him. It's not something I noticed, obviously, in the academy, but something I noticed in this match and have started to see a lot more. And he's able, you know, I don't think he's used for long, long throw-ins the way they're spoken about when you throw it all the way into the box. But he, he can make... A real danger threat out of something like that and it's an interesting skill to have especially a right back or right wing back who's taking you know most of the throw-ins that come in down that right hand side brooke then played 90 minutes against sunderland in a 2-1 win 12 of 14 passing three successful dribbles six out of 19 ground duels one not his best showing there although to find yourself in 19 ground duels shows the aggression and confidence brooke norton cuffey has at the moment defensively and trying to win second balls uh, in midfield he also won his only aerial duel in this match. Brooke did play a major part in the second goal, winning a duel in midfield, taking out two players with a neat little dribble, then playing a progressive pass down the left wing, which led to a 2v1 with the keeper and the eventual second goal that ended up being the winner. Key player in the match, Brooke Norton Cuffey, in this moment, and showing what he can do when he plays in those midfield areas. And I think a lot of Arsenal fans are questioning whether Brooke Norton Cuffey can be Ben White's backup next year. And yes, I think at this point, it's hard to say that you would feel confident as him being the only right-back option if Ben White were to be out for long periods of time. But people are forgetting that Tomiyasu is not going to go anywhere this summer. Tomiyasu is going to be kind of that utility defender who is an option at right-back, who is an option at left-back, who is an option at center-back, depending on what happens in the summer. He's somebody who can be used everywhere. Yeah, if Saliba 
Gabrielle and White all go down. Am I going to feel comfortable that Brooke Norton Cuffey's going to have to play right back every single week next year? Not necessarily. But to say that because of this few matches at Coventry, Brooke Norton Cuffey is nowhere near the first team is very aggressive. He has a lot of skills that Arteta can mold into a very successful player. And the way Ben White is playing is not very inverted. He's playing overlap, right back position. He is, needs to be. When Saka gets double teamed, you need somebody who can overlap and get in behind. And Brook Norton Cuffey is exactly the kind of player who can do that. He offers something different, which is what you want in rotational players often. In the third match over these two weeks, Brook played 63 minutes in a nil-nil draw with Preston North End. Six of 11 passing, one successful dribble on two chances, and five out of seven ground duels won. Another match where he did really well defensively, although he seemed a little lackadaisical on the offensive side of the ball. He wasn't pushing forward as hard as I've seen him do. He wasn't really trying to take defenders on. As I mentioned, only attempted two dribbles, probably his least in a start over the last six, seven weeks. I think he was a little bit tired. I think he's played a lot of matches. There was also the element of frustration. He's isolated on that right side. He kept trying to play the ball into Gyokuris, but didn't have the right passing angles. Gyokuris was getting frustrated with Brook Norton Cuffey not playing to his feet. It was an open match on the other wing. That's the crazy part. I would have liked to see Josh Wilson Esbrand play a little bit more at left wing back. They still haven't really used him there. They've been using him in midfield as a substitute, which is a little bit odd. Yes, obviously he comes from the Pep School of inverted fullbacks. But he can really extend the pitch in a similar way Brook can. And I think if he played on that left side and the two of them were able to stretch the width of the pitch, that Brook would also see a lot more freedom. So I'd like to see that in the future. Uh, but as I said, teams are clearly keying on Brook Norncuffey on this right side of the pitch, bringing two to three defenders every time. And announcers are calling it out. Like, I'm not making this up. It's very clear that there's a game plan to prevent him from getting that kind of space that he saw at Rotherham, that he saw at Lincoln, where he was so deadly. Staying in the championship, we had a debutante, Marquinhos. Starting for Norwich, returning from injury with a bang, playing 59 minutes, adding a goal and an assist in the first half in a 2-0 win over Cardiff City. And this was a spectacular performance. 20 of 24 passing, two key passes, three shots, two of those on target. Obviously, the goal and assist that I already mentioned. The assist was truly just a simple layoff. Uh, but he backed a defender away who he received the ball, corner of the box, looked like he was trying to kind of position his body to try and curl a shot into the far corner. Defender was positioning himself for that. He laid it off for his midfielder kind of in that parte position, if you will, where he scored that goal against Tottenham. And the midfielder took it wonderfully, near post, fired it home, and the goal was taken sweetly as well. Marquinhos drifted in from the right wing into kind of the middle of the box around the penalty area. A cross came in, and he struck it sweetly into the bottom corner. Hard and unsavable, obviously. Putting Norwich up 2-0, getting major three points towards the promotion playoffs. And the only thing I would say about this performance that I'd like to see Marquinhos do a little bit differently is he receives the ball on the wing with his back to goal. And he can't really create any danger from those positions. We've heard Arteta talk about with the wingers kind of trying to shape their body to receive the ball where they can attack 1v1 immediately. Because when Marquinhos receives the ball with his back to the defender, by the time he's turning, the defender's already going to be closing in. If he can shift his body where his back's towards the touchline and he has more of a view, he can pass, dribble, go backwards, go forwards, go sideways, do a lot of different things when he receives the ball instead of first having to face up. 
and I think that would really help him be a more dangerous player, especially with the way he can shape the ball with his left foot and the way he can take players on. Other than that, a spectacular performance, a spectacular debut. It'd be hard to eliminate Marquinhos from the team for the next match. You'd have to imagine he keeps his place a goal and an assist in his debut, and Norwich are in a real battle for the promotion playoffs. So hopefully Marquinhos continues to thrive, continues to stay in the 11, and you know helps Norwich get promoted. We know they're a yo-yo club. We know they love a promotion. So a lot to see from Marquinhos moving forward, but a really excellent debut from him. Over to Ligue 1. Fuller and Balagoon had a couple of performances over the last two weeks. 89 minutes played in a nil-nil draw with Nice. 7 of 11 passing, 3 shots, 2 big chances missed, and a missed penalty. His first missed penalty of his senior career. He did win that penalty. Had an XG of 1, 2 out of 3 successful dribbles. An unfortunate miss for Flo. Uh, he hit it to kind of the one place you don't want to hit it. Middle to the keeper's right at a perfect height for the keeper where all he had to do was just get his hands to it right where his chest was. The ball, however, did bounce right back towards Flo. He should have put away the rebound, and he skied it over the bar. It is unfortunate, but it does happen to even the best of them. We saw Mbappe do it just a few weeks ago. Didn't rattle Flo's confidence at all. Came out in a 3-0 win over Toulouse with his best game and his front foot going. 87 minutes, 22 of 27 passing, three shots, two of those on target, two key passes. Uh, he had almost a full XG again. Should have had an assist, receiving the ball towards the end line, cutting it back across goal to a teammate who's directly in front of goal, basically on an empty goal, and somehow missed it at the far post, off the post. Missed a good chance of his own later on, where he received the ball around the penalty spot, spun the defender wonderfully, tried to fire a curling effort towards the top corner, but it just hit the post and went out of bounds. But good to see Flo keeping his confidence going. Ream still undefeated. With Will Still in League One, pretty unbelievable stuff. I mean, this is a match made in heaven with Flo and Will Still. And I will say one thing about Flo's future at Arsenal. I think Eddie Nketiah has been awesome, and I'm really enjoying watching him. But it's well known at this point that him and Martinelli don't play that well together. Martinelli succeeds a lot more when he can play through the middle with a false nine who's willing to rotate with him on the left wing, as we saw with Jesus. And now we saw with Trossard. I could see Flo Balagoon also making a really nice partnership with Martinelli. They both have very similar skill sets. They've both spent time on the wing and through the middle. They both are excellent goal scorers and excellent creators. That's not something Enkedi is so good at. I will say, obviously, Flo Balagoon at this point, if he continues to play like this, if he gets to 20 goals in the league, probably can fetch a pretty handsome fee. And if we're really in for Leal... AC Milan are interested in Flo Balagoon. Maybe there's a deal there. I don't want to lose Balagoon. I think Balagoon has an absolutely massive future. His athleticism alone to go with his goal scoring makes him an absolute unicorn. There's a lot to consider, and I'm interested to see how Arsenal deal with it. I don't believe that Enkedia and Balagoon will both be in the squad next year. I think that's really unlikely. But I'm not sure which one's going to be the one who leaves. It, it, there's, a lot to, there's a lot to still play for here. Not just the title, not just Balogun getting to 20 goals, but these two players have a lot to play for over the next few months. I usually wouldn't go so quickly to the under-21s, but I'm not talking about Arsenal's under-21s. I'm talking about Derby County's under-21s because Keto Taylor-Hart scored a hat-trick and scored a penalty in a shootout as Derby went through over Alfreton in the Derbyshire Senior Cup. An incredible performance from Keto Taylor-Hart. 
The first goal came in the 21st minute. Taylor Hart received the ball on the right wing, shaped the shoot it onto his left foot with a curling effort, but checked it back on a fake shot, drilled it low and hard with his right foot from 20 yards out, and scored to give Derby the early lead. Derby, however, ended up going down 5-2 in this match, but scored three goals in the 88th, 90th, and in stoppage time to send this to a shootout. Two of those came from Taylor Hart. In the 88th minute, Taylor Hart finished off a driving run by drilling a shot in off from the post from a very tight angle. And then two minutes later, he made another incredible run, ending with a fantastic strike from 25 yards to make the hat trick to get it to 5-4. They eventually get it to 5-5. Taylor Hart scores a penalty in the shootout, and Derby move on. An incredible performance. And we always knew Taylor Hart had this talent. And to see him putting it together, finally getting a constant run, and he did play in a 1-1 draw a week earlier against Sunderland as Derby under-21 got their first point of the season in the Premier League 2. But with consistent game time, Taylor Hart can get back to his best. There are fans clamoring now for Taylor Hart to get some involvement with the first team as they're pushing for the promotion playoffs. I'm not sure he's going to get that. I'm not sure how legal it is for him to do that. I don't know exactly the rules by this. I've seen people on both sides of the argument but nonetheless, an excellent performance from Taylor Hart. I'm working on getting some of that footage so I can get it up onto Twitter so that people can see this hat-trick, but an unbelievable hat-trick. And Billy Vigar played in both these matches as well. So the 90 minutes in both of them as well. Great to see both of them getting constant play time because uh, they wouldn't be making that kind of impact with the under-21s for Arsenal, who have a pretty strong squad at the moment, but excellent to see. In other news, Alex Kirk played 90 minutes in a 1-0 loss to Patrick Thistle and then played 90 minutes in a 0-0 draw with Rafe Rovers. IR United are an absolute dogfight in the promotion race on 40 points. Three teams have 40 points in 3rd, 4th, and 5th. The team in 2nd has 43 points. And 2nd through 4th make it into the promotion qualification table. So there's a lot to play for week in and week out. Every point is massive. Alex Kirk is an absolute unit in that back four, and possibly the most important player. So we'll continue to see how he does there. An excellent loan period for him nonetheless. In other defensive news, Mazid Agungbo made his first start since December, playing 89 minutes against Leighton Orient in a 1-0 loss for Crawley Town. 12 of 21 passing, 2 of 3 successful dribbles, 5 out of 6 ground duels won, and 3 out of 6 aerial duels won. He also picked up a yellow card for time-wasting in the 29th minute, which is the most Arsenal thing we know and have seen this season. Uh, he's been playing as a left wing back. That's where he's really had his most success this year. He did play that odd match where he was playing kind of in midfield, and that was a disaster, but left wing back is where he's at his best. Uh, but however, after this great performance, he did not feature against Carlisle United or Tranmere Rovers. Tim Akinola of Chesterfield played 64 minutes in a nil-nil draw with Solihull Moors. He won the fans' man of the match. He then played 90 minutes in a 1-1 draw with Wealdstone then did not feature in a 1-0 loss to Oldham Athletic, and then played the final 17 minutes in a 2-1 loss to Wrexham, which was the best 17 minutes Chesterfield played in this entire match. This team is clearly so much better when Tim's on the pitch. He adds aggressiveness, athleticism, and technical skill that the team needs in midfield, that they are lacking without him. He helps them maintain possession and to help them to attack. He also helps them win the ball back in midfield. He is used as a pressing mechanism. He does so many things that no one else on this roster is able to do, and it's so unclear to me when he's not involved at all how that could be helpful for a team that is fighting for promotion to get back into league football. Ryan Alabiosu 
Back to seeing more of a bench roll, which you do not like to see. This Kilmer Oxide is an absolute disaster. 13 minutes and a 2-0 loss to Hibernian. 2 of 5 passing, and he did complete his only cross. He then played 5 minutes in a 1-1 draw with Motherwell, but he only had one touch of the ball, and he lost his only aerial duel. Like to see him back in the starting 11. Unclear exactly why he won't be. He's been one of their better players when he's had the chance, but obviously this team are struggling at the bottom of the Scottish Premiership. Taylor Foran played 90 minutes in a 2-2 draw with Wimbledon as Hartlepool hoped to stay in League 2. 30 of 46 passing, one shot on target, 3 out of 7 long balls. He won 1 of 2 ground duels, 1 of 1 aerial duels, made 6 clearances, 2 interceptions, and 2 blocks. He is another player who's great in a low block, great at being physical. He did well a couple of times just to be physical in the areas when crosses are coming in, getting on an opponent's shoulder and just making sure they know he's there and you know, getting them from having easy chances at goal, just making them feel a little bit uncomfortable. He's really good at that. He's such a big six foot five large opponent. Yes, he struggles sometimes in terms of pace and recovery speed. He does not have that. And he needs to learn when to take a step or two further back and allow an opponent to receive the ball and just keep himself in front of them because he's gotten in trouble when he gets too close to the ball. But he'll learn that. He certainly will. He then played 90 minutes in a 1-0 loss to Newport County, which unfortunately they lost on a 91st-minute winner off of a corner kick. 18 of 32 passing, 3 of 9 on long balls, 2 of 3 ground duels won, and 3 of 4 aerial duels won, as well as 4 clearances. He's a dual demon. I told you that going into this loan move. The kid knows how to get a foot in. He knows how to win an aerial duel. He's a massive, massive body back there. Looks like per Murtisacker in terms of his stature and how much bigger he is than everyone else. When his shoulders and arms fill out, he's going to be a beast in the lower leagues in England. He then played 58 minutes in a 3-3 draw with Walsall, 14 of 19 passing, 2 of 3 aerial duels won, and 7 clearances. That second Walsall goal was mostly his fault. His man beat him not once but twice before firing from 25, 30 yards out and beating the keeper. Yes, it was an amazing strike, but this is what I was talking about earlier. Foran needs to learn when to keep the opponent in front of him, especially when he's 40 yards away from his own goal. No reason for him, without any recovery speed, to be stepping that far out. He looked a little tired in this match, I'm not going to lie. He, this is the most amount of football he's played in a short period of time, probably in his career, and senior football is a whole nother level. He's being asked to cover a lot more space and a lot more physical players. He did, however, make a very nice pass into the box, leading to the hard-to-pull penalty that got them back in this match and then was subbed on, subbed off right after this penalty to make it 2-1. But Foran will stay in the side. He will be one of those three central defenders in that back five week in and week out. That's really all the outfield players who played. Tyrese John-Jules, however, joining first stream chaining for the first time in a few months since that hamstring tear. They hope to have him back in the squad in the next couple of weeks. Nikolai Moeller still out due to injury. Mika Beareth finally returned to training. Unclear what that means for him and returning to the squad, but hopefully he'll get back in the squad on the weekend, if not next week, and then back into the starting 11 where he had finally found some real success. Marcelo Flores remains on the bench for his ninth straight match without playing a minute, but there is some good news as he extended his Arsenal contract two years. The plan is likely to send him on loan to Spain again next year so that he can earn an EU visa that will allow him to go anywhere freely in the future. His dream move is to go to Barcelona, but obviously not playing nine straight matches in La Liga 2. That seems like a bit of a far-fetched goal at the moment. 
hopefully a better loan move next year where he can get constant game time because he truly is a massive talent, uh, and there's no doubt about that. There's a reason Canada, Mexico, and England were all after his signature to play for the international sides. Omar Rekik still has not returned from injury. He picked up on his Wigan debut. Seems he's finally healthy from injury, though, back in training. Uh, however, the manager, Sean Maloney, isn't sure he's ready to see the pitch again in what was a bit of a confusing statement after he threw him right into the fire in his first match under Wigan Athletic and had such a great debut. I'd expect Omar to get back into the squad sooner rather than later for a team that are fighting for their lives at the bottom of the championship. Miguel Aziz is a bit of an interesting one. Sean Maloney has basically said that Aziz is not working hard enough in training, isn't meshing with the squad, and needs to get his mentality right. On the back of those comments, Aziz has now played twice for the Wigan under-21s. 83 minutes with them in one match against Preston North End, and then 65 minutes against Cruz under-21 side as well. This has been a brutal couple of years for Miguel Aziz, who seemed very close to joining Arsenal's first team just two years ago, before a failed Portsmouth move that saw it cut short in January and a shaky time in the academy getting his footing, a shaky move to Ibiza, and now a more than shaky move to Wigan, where it seems that multiple coaches have mentioned Miguel Aziz's work, Miguel Aziz's work ethic. And you don't want to hear that about a player, especially a player who has the utmost talent physically, technically, can play multiple different positions in midfield, and has a flash of brilliance from anywhere on the pitch, whether it's shooting, his passing range, his dribbling technique, it's all incredible. It just goes to show you Mentality is king in youth football. Just see how Bukayo Saka has done it. That is the role model. That is the template for being successful and coming out of Hale End and succeeding immediately. Doing whatever the manager tells you to do, playing where you're asked to play, and doing it with a smile on your face because not everyone gets this chance. And you must understand that no matter how good you are, not everyone gets this chance. And Miguel Aziz has not taken his chances. That's not to say his career is over. That's not to say his Arsenal career is over. At any moment, he could turn it around, and I believe in his ability. So hopefully we'll get to see that from him, and hopefully he'll find his way back in this Wigan side that desperately need him. Last but not least in outfield players, Nathan Butler Oyedehi started his first match for Accrington Stanley, but has only played 21 minutes in the five subsequent matches, not featuring against Shrewsbury Town or Burton Albion the last two weeks. A little bit of an odd one, Accrington Stanley, another one who need goals. Hopefully, it's just the adjustment period to senior football for a player who had not had any of that. And he'll get back in the side at some point sooner rather than later. On to our goalkeepers. Only one of the three played over the last two weeks. That's Arthur Okonkwo, who had one great game and one not-so-great game. He made five saves in a 2-1 win over Hartburg, 10 of 15 passing, 3 of 7 long balls. He made two diving saves, three of the three saves coming inside the box and two high claims. He made a great reaction save off of a set piece header on just inside the 6-yard box and he punched it over. Set piece came in from a long ways out but a great ball, free header from inside the 6. Okonkwo got his hands up quickly and pushed it over the bar. He made a save on a shot from inside the box. Diving to his right, however, he didn't get enough on it and fell to the opposition who poked it home. Probably should have made a little bit of a stronger punch, but the first save was good nonetheless. He kind of didn't see the ball until late, just didn't get enough on it. In the next match, he made one save and a 2-1 loss to Klagenfurt, only facing .22 expected goals on target. However, the first goal was an own goal, and 
was a deflection off a teammate. Nothing Okonkwo could have done. It's one of those weird ones where the cross came flat, went off the ground, off of his own player's heel, and kind of popped into the net. Okonkwo really had no chance. Uh, the second goal came from a tight angle, though, and it was hit directly between his legs. You'd like to see him do better. The one thing you do know about big, tall, lanky goalkeepers is that they can be beaten between their legs. Okonkwo's distribution, however, was fabulous in this game. 14-14 passing and 5-5 five five on long balls. Ovi Ejikiri did not play in the final 2-1 win over Eels in the last match of the Finnish Cup. Tom Smith still has not seen the pitch for Colchester. Not exactly sure what's going on there. I have figured Arsenal sent him there to be the first goalkeeper on the team sheet, but Kieran O'Hara has kept his place. And that's everything. Those are all of our players. Some exciting news, obviously, from Keto Taylor Hart with his hat trick. Balagoon con- continuing to do excellent things, although he did miss that penalty. And the likes of Charlie Patino, Brooke Norn Cuffey, and Marquinhos, for the most part, putting in great shifts in the championship. But we will continue to keep you updated. I will get that footage onto Twitter as soon as I can when I get it on Keto Taylor Hart's hat trick. But thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Away from Hale End. <laughs>